abstract presented to you by the Western Student Research Conference. The abstract aims to get undergraduates in Canadian universities interested in pursuing a diverse range of research. The WSRC is a multidisciplinary research conference hosted at Western University. Now this two-day conference that will be held on March 27th and 28th is a place where ideas truly meet. So make sure to check out our logistics team interview if you want to get a better view of what it'll look like virtually this year. Hi, welcome back to another episode of The Abstract. My name is Sheeta. I'm the co-chair of the WSRC. My name is Fiona. I'm the research director. My name is Sumit. I'm the VP Finance. And today we are here with our special guest, who is the CEO of TrueFund, which helps make businesses have smarter business strategies. And with his company gaining over $1.8 million with clients for Samsung, the NBA, and thousands of more other businesses, his hard work has earned him a place into Plan Canada's 20 Under 20 and Bay Street Bulls 30 Under 30. Please welcome Swish Goswami. <laughs> <laughs> a little round of applause there. Uh, no, thank you for having me. I couldn't help but notice the little basketball set you have in the background. And I was like really catching my eye because <laughs> I'm personally a really big fan of basketball. And I also played basketball in high school. Um, so I was just wondering if seems like you are too. Yeah. I mean, my nickname is Swish, right? Like it, it has to be. That's relevant. true. That's, yeah. <laughs> It'd be really sad if I was like into the ballet or something. I mean, maybe that would work actually. But um yeah, no, I know. I grew up playing basketball when I moved from Singapore to Calgary, and uh, I was the tallest kid at the Calgary Science School for like a number of years. I know it's Calgary Science School, right? So <laughs> we didn't actually show up in lab coats to our school, unlike what people thought, but uh, it wasn't maybe the most athletically gifted school, which is why I was a starting center, played, you know, grade seven, eight, and nine for my school team, did very well. And then when I went to high school, I went to a private school that obviously doesn't play with public school kids. So it, it became the same thing where I was athletically gifted in a pool of fairly non-athletically gifted kids. <laughs> um, and so I did well there, but you know, I quit basketball really when I was in grade 11 to go into debate more full-time and spend a lot more time there. But I still became a big fan. I grew up watching Kobe Bryant well, and everyone is going frantically crazy over them. Um, yeah. And then when we finally got an apartment, I mean, my mom was like, why don't I just put a di- like a dinner table? I'm like, oh, who needs that? Um, so I looked up like probably the most absurd things that you could put into an 850 square foot apartment. And I thought, why not just put a pop a shot machine? And so it has definitely been amazing to be able to take calls and just shoot a basketball into a net. Um, the mm-hmm. ceiling, however, is definitely a little bit orange because I do sometimes miss. But yeah, <laughs> that's a bit of the story behind the net. <laughs> that's crazy when you mentioned your story behind like how you started getting into basketball because I pretty much had the same path I started playing basketball in high school Mm -hmm. and I also went to a private school that was more like academically gifted not so much like athletically gifted I'm 5'3 for reference Mm -hmm. and my coach also made me play starting center I don't know why (laughs) so I was up against these people like a foot taller than me yeah and it was it was a lot yeah I'm definitely jealous of that um papa shot that you have there (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't mean that anytime I now go to like, you know, the exhibitions that happen, like, uh, what do they call in Toronto? The OCE? The CNE. The CNE, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Or like the Calgary Stampede. I know the Calgary Stampede a lot more. But um, anytime I go to these places, like, my shot is just so good because I've been practicing on on a a pop shot machine back home. So it's great. (laughs) Yeah. And you mentioned your favorite team was the Lakers. So. Mm 
What are your thoughts on um, their championship last season? I, I mean, this season too, I think they're going to win again. But one of our investors, which is a dream come true for true fan, is Kyle Kuzma, who plays for the Lakers. And so, you know, there's obviously just a, a little bond there too with the team beyond just being a, a childhood fan. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, that's super cool that Kyle Kuzma is also along with you on your whole business ventures and stuff like that. Dream come true, honestly. Never thought that a, a Laker would ever be a part of the company. I just, I don't want him to leave. I just want him to stay there forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or to be traded, but yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that's definitely really big. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disappoint you here a little bit, but not, I'm not a basketball guy. But yeah, no, I've, I've been more into soccer all my life. You know, grew up playing it, grew up watching it. My dad's been playing it, so that was a big uh, factor. Yeah. And then connecting to your story as well, like, I remember when I was in grade nine, I had to stop playing because I ended up breaking my, my tibia as my shin, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, at first I was so focused on soccer and I'm like, damn, like, I was bummed because I really wanted to pursue soccer more professionally. Right. I was kind of put in a position where I had to, um, you know, find something else I like. Mm-hmm. So I ended up finding debate more specifically. I got into Mali United Nations. Mm-hmm. And I remember starting, it was just like, my very first conference was horrible. I remember just sitting there for the most part. But obviously, I, I didn't waste. I didn't just like you know sit there, go home, and then like yeah, about it. Like I, I saw other people. Do it was it. intimidating like, though. Yeah, it definitely was. After yeah, it. Yeah. like I don't so like especially with the older kids. Like they were very good. We were competing at a private school on top of that. Right. Um, so yeah, that was like that was that was pretty big. But like over time, um, once I started pursuing it more and bringing in those skills from like sports, like I saw that I saw that help out a lot because. Like when I when I started treating it like oh you gotta practice for it build off of it yep. that's when I got better at like speaking and on top of that like uh, that that allowed me to eventually become the president of my, of, of the club in my school mm-hmm. so yeah so like just bringing in those skills were definitely very helpful and um, just relating to public speaking that's where I kind of wanted to ask you questions because of course in your time you have you have done a lot like you said you were a part of the uh, debate teams. I, I think I remember uh, watching an interview talk about Mali United Nations. That, um, <laughs> that got me pretty hyped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, some yeah. Controversial views on, on that view, but yeah. <laughs> yeah I think I think you spoke at Harvard as well as Wall Street Journal. And uh, mm-hmm. I think you had like three talks at TEDx. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to ask you, what's your, what's your favorite part um, about public speaking? And like, do you have any very memorable moments that you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, I got started with debate in grade seven, and it was mainly because of my brother. So I had a list. I still have a list, but like I had a pretty terrible list, honestly, in, in uh, junior high and high school where I couldn't say my R's and S's properly. Now I think it's better. Like if, I, if I'm like talking for too long, which is a good sign that I should probably just shut up. But if I'm talking for too long, um, normally that's where you'll start to hear it a lot more. Um, but I, I was very like, not shy, I would say I was a very confident kid, but I was always very shy to at least like, put my hand up, you know, and, and ask a question, um, or, or be the person that like goes up in front of the entire class and gives a presentation, like one on one with people. I was good. I was not a shy kid. But like, just overall, like in the back of your head, you're always thinking, what are people thinking? Do they actually understand me? Are they making fun of me? That was always kind of in the back of my head. And then in grade 12, my brother goes ahead as part of Team Canada. And he wins the world competition in Qatar. So I'm like, fuck, um, I need to do something here. You know, like my mom is obviously, uh, you know, oh, great job, Binu, did a great job. And I'm looking here like, okay, maybe I could try this. And, and so I joined debate in grade seven. That year was okay. Um, it wasn't the best, but it was still a great way to start off. Debate is really cool because even if you're not good at public speaking, you can still be a good debater if you're generally smart and if you're well-informed. 
because a lot of your topics are given to you 30 minutes beforehand. You don't know the topic, and then you have to basically write down arguments for the topic without any cell phone or internet access. It's everything is just what you know. So whether it's banning smoking in public places or the legitimate usage of drone strikes or it's performance-enhancing drugs in sports, you need to know about these topics in general to be able to write down ideas and then present them. So that was where I started to really push myself towards is I need to be well-informed. Maybe I wouldn't be the best speaker in the room, but I'm going to be the most smart. The most smart. Yikes, Jesus, grammar is terrible, man. <laughs> but I will be the smartest person in, in the room. And, and so I, in grade eight, did fairly well. In grade nine, I, I, I did very well. And then grade 10, I had the opportunity to join Team Canada. And I think those were the best moments, honestly, for public speaking. You know, like, you know, in university, obviously, I stopped debating and I did more speaking on stages, speaking at university, UN, Harvard, Staples Center, whatever it is. Those were great. But like, the genuine bonds that I made being a part of Team Canada in high school with some phenomenal people, great young people from across Canada, that was invaluable. And, you know, we traveled every two weeks to a new country, whether it was Bermuda or Germany or Thailand or Singapore or wherever it was, wherever debate tournaments really were. We were traveling and practicing all in hopes of bringing on uh, another world title. And uh, we came fourth in, in my grade 11 year. We lost to South Africa. And then in my grade 12 year, we came second, which was possibly one of the most painful moments of my life. I cried for like a day and a half after um, because we lost to Singapore in Singapore. So we lost to my home country uh, in the final on, on the topic of universal basic income. And, uh, you know, it was just crazy because I think the reason I cried too is because it made me realize like how focused I was for that like three weeks I was in Singapore for the world competition how focused I was on one goal like I didn't care about anything else I wasn't on social media I was totally disconnected I was just very focused on trying to win and when it doesn't happen it sucks but it also makes you realize like whoa like I can accomplish a lot when I just focus my time and energy to one thing and like have a very singular focus in life so that was something really cool to see. It's something I've actually been striving to get back to is that singular focus because I feel like past the age of 18, I became kind of all around. Like I was doing too much at times um, and I was starting to spread myself a bit too thin at times too. No, I definitely see that. After I remember after high school, it was like, it's a big transition trying to like explore different fields and you, you kind of have this pressure put on you that you know after high school is when you have to try to find yourself. Yeah, and I feel that, that's especially where like we end up uh, spreading ourselves thin. So yeah, I definitely uh, see you on that point. So like our conference this year is going to be virtual, and like students are going to be engaging with an audience like on an online platform. Yep. So like, do you have any tips for when it comes to presenting online? Because I'm sure you've seen a difference when it comes to presenting on stage versus like online. So do you want to just break down like how it's different and how would you think these presenters can overcome that? I think the key thing is just clarity is a lot more important virtually because the cool thing is that at least in person, your charisma and your body language and your passion is evident and it can actually, you can feel it. It's very hard to get people to feel like you're passionate over a camera. Um, it can be done, but it can also be overdone, by the way. Like you don't want to be like, oh, super energetic the whole 30 minute speech. So the, the key thing is clarity. Wherever you can have takeaways. You know, whether it's like, okay, I'm going to give a 30-minute talk, but here are the three takeaways I want people to go home and think about and make sure that you reiterate those takeaways throughout while you're making them to make sure that people are following along and are, are super clear about what you're trying to say. The second thing I think is, is, you know, generally speaking for me, just be chill. Like everyone's at home. 
You don't need to be super professional. I show up to most talks. Like I spoke at Harvard, for example, I wore a t-shirt and a hat and sweatpants. And I was on a panel for the first day with, you know, people that were suited up and it's no disrespect to people that are suited up. It's just, A, I feel comfortable with whatever it is I wear. And if I feel comfortable, I'm more confident. And if I'm more confident, I tend to give a better talk. And then B, I want to be relatable too. Like, I don't want to sit here on like my high horse and say that I figured everything out. For every strength that I have, I think I have double the weaknesses, especially when it comes to like just being a a functioning adult. (laughs) I'm definitely not the best at doing that. So I want to make sure that I can relate to college students and university students when I speak to them. And again, they're my favorite audience to talk to because, you know, I'm around their age. Now I'm a little bit older. I'm kind of, you know, one year older than I guess what your final year student would be. But, you know, whatever. (laughs) I hate getting older. (laughs) Well, speaking about your talks, you speak a lot about being an entrepreneur. So what made you actually get started and motivated you to actually pursue entrepreneurship? Um, there wasn't like a singular moment. Entrepreneurship was something that was not looked down upon in my household, but definitely was new. Like my family, it's all lawyers and engineers and doctors, typical immigrant family. Um, and I think when I came to Canada, I had a few experiences in my childhood that very much started to make me think that life cannot be just that, you know, and it, it, again, there's no disrespect to people that are lawyers. My brother is a lawyer and he is so passionate about his work. And I love, like, I get inspiration watching him work because when you're passionate about something, it rubs off on other people. So if you're passionate about medicine, if you're passionate about engineering, if you're passionate about law, there's no disrespect here. This is just my personal opinion. But I was like, you know, looking at my family and I thought every single person is going into this world. Half the time, I don't even know if they want to be a lawyer. Half the time, I don't even know if they want to be a doctor, but they're doing it for a great pension, for a great salary, and to be able to just say that they're a doctor and have a degree and be able to, you know, have their parents brag to their other parents. So I, I, I realized that maybe there's more to this than just doing that. And I started to take a lot of risks in my childhood in terms of like, started a hovercraft, obviously, and and built that with my dad when we were seven years old, and we're able to sell that. When I was 14, I joined Junior Achievement. And that was an awesome program that got me really in tune with what entrepreneurship could be like. Um, When I was in high school, I started a nonprofit. And and all of this was trying to get me to think, what more is there to life than those three paths? And it didn't help also that I was a huge movie junkie, like both Hollywood movies and Bollywood movies. I was consuming content at like an unbelievable pace in high school, watching a Bollywood movie almost every single day. And the movies that I tend to like are movies that are, you know, trying to get people to think about a different path, to think about, you know, what is a, a different mission than just what is typical and what is typical in life, which is get a job at whatever, 22 and retire at 35 and have kids then. And, you know, there's more to life than that. So I, I, I started to go and consume a lot of content from entrepreneurs in university. Some of the entrepreneurs I looked up to in university were, you know, Richard Branson. Uh, I, I think it was great to be able to follow Gary Vaynerchuk as well, because he wasn't as popular. Um, like he was at like 250,000 followers on Instagram when I started consuming his content in first year of university and his keynotes to date, in my opinion, are some of the best keynotes if you're looking to get into marketing. He's honestly like a messiah in the way that he's able to predict trends before they happen. And then the third person was, was you know, kind of a mix between uh, a lot of what I think was done by Chamath. Um, I don't know if you guys know who Chamath Palapatia is, but he was a former growth head at Facebook. He's now part of Social Capital. Um, 
and also what Scooter Braun did um, in terms of being a entertainment mogul. So these were the people that I looked up to. I used to consume content from them on YouTube, their talks, their interviews, and trying to learn how to get started. And a lot of what I realized is getting started is literally as simple as just starting a website, putting up your idea, and getting feedback, which anyone, in my opinion, can do in today's world, where tools are so easy to use, where honestly, as long as you have access to the internet, you should be able to create a website on Squarespace, on Wix, on whatever it is, put your idea out there and start to get feedback from friends, family, and hopefully honest people. So that that's what I did. And, and I went down this rabbit hole past second year of thinking of this wearables idea, running with it, becoming you know really close to an investor in New York who then took me into his VC. His name is Trevor Booker. He played for the Brooklyn Nets. And that led to me being in New York and starting this journey around Dunk and True Fan and everything else I've been doing. That's amazing. Um, I'm glad that you took everything around you as well as um, were able to grow at such an early age because it takes a lot to kind of realize that, you know, entrepreneurship is kind of what you want to pursue and that um, that environment will help you accelerate and you find passion in that. What made you want to pursue differently? Like, I know you've wanted to be different, but how did you know entrepreneurship was right for you? And how did you know that you could trust that it would lead you somewhere? It wasn't that entrepreneurship was right for me. I think it was every other option seemed to lock me in into a path. The cool thing about entrepreneurship is it's so open-ended. Like you could be creating a healthcare startup. You could be focusing your time on building a nonprofit, combating animal rights and climate change. You could be creating a software company that does a lot of work for brands in regards to influencer marketing. You could do so much. There's a wide gambit of ideas where it's very easy then if, oh my God, I'm building this company. Three years down the road, my passions change, which by the way, they do. And we don't learn about that growing up. We're told that we have one passion and it remains static for the rest of our life. But the truth is my passions have been changing almost every year. So is my career choice really. But <laughs> at the same time, like as your passions change, the cool thing about entrepreneurship is I can say, okay, I think I'm done with this idea. Um, I, I obviously want to park it in the right place. I want to have the right management team behind it. I want to make sure it continues to run, but I want to work on a new idea um, or I want to you know, pursue speaking full time or I want to write a book or I want to do a number of other things that are a lot easier in my opinion to do when you built an open-ended flexible career. Um, and that's what I was trying to go for. I was trying to go for a quote multi-hyphenate career where I'm not known for just one thing. I want to be definitely known for being good at certain things, but I want to be able to try various things. And I didn't feel at the time that going to med school would have allowed me to do that because at least for the time being of being in med school, doing residency, and then going and working, it would have been a lot of time where I was pigeonholed into a path and not able to move aside. Because like, if I had done med school and then became an entrepreneur, my entire family would have been like, why the hell did we even pay for med school then? <laughs> right? And a lot of people do that with law school too. And it infuriates me. Like it, it pisses me off when people go to law school and they go into business. Like I understand law school can teach you a lot, but trust me, so can investment banking. And so can just going and getting an undergrad and getting work experience and figuring out what you like doing, what you don't like doing outside the confines of a law library. So that's something also that my brother and I share in common is we, we feel like if you're going to go down a path have an early indication that you're not in it for the money because there's something more to the work that excites you. Um, and for me, that wasn't the case with law. Law, the only thing that excited me was suits and the money. Suits is obviously pretty fictional. <laughs> and then with medicine and with engineering, like I just didn't get it. Like I wasn't that kid growing up. I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. 
that's an awesome insight. Um, so going back to what you mentioned about kind of aligning your entrepreneurial interests with um, your passions, because that really shows. I know that TrueFan helps different brands improve their marketing strategies. And specifically, you mentioned that you guys are partnering with um, NBA players like Kyle Kuzma. Mm -hmm. So what made you particularly interested in looking at this aspect of business? Was it because of the fact that you wanted to kind of join your interests with your kind of business? Yeah, no, I mean, you nailed it, right? Like I, I wrote down, okay, what are the areas that I want to work in? And I, I wrote down basketball as one of them. Bollywood as another uh, another of them. Just a passion of mine growing up is I would love to write a Bollywood movie at one time or direct a Bollywood movie or whatever. Like definitely not saying in one. <laughs> um, but yeah, Bollywood was another one. Dance was another one. Space is another one. And politics was another one, right? So these are five areas that I'm like, these are areas that I love. I read up, you know, even now, like YouTube videos, my recommended videos tend to be made up of one of these five categories. Um, and so I thought, what was the best business that I could start that would allow me to interact with as many of these areas as possible? And I thought, wow, well, focusing an idea that could be very relevant to celebrities and influencers and also to brands could be great. So we came up with this early idea for why don't we help every celebrity and every influencer find who their top fans on social media are. That was the early iteration of True Fan three years ago. Then after that, we started to get approached by brands who were like, well, we want to do that too, but we don't only really want to find our fans. We want to find our competitors' fans. And so we thought, hmm, competitive intelligence. This could be something really cool to add to our product as well. We decided to do that. And then now where we're at, you know, three years down the road, we started to take a look at marketing as a whole. And we realized that there is a major problem that people aren't talking about that, in my opinion, is actually paramount to like the housing market crisis that happened in 2008 where, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie, The Big Short, but there were, there were a few people that believed that the housing market was a bubble and it was going to burst, but nobody believed them. And I see marketing in the same way right now. Like I think third-party advertising is just crippling. It's going to be deprecated in the next two or three years. And what brands and influencers and celebrities are going to have to do is figure out if I built an audience on Instagram and Facebook, how do I maintain ownership over that community, even if the platform changes or shuts down, like TikTok almost did this year? Um, how do I get ownership, real ownership over my audience so I can take them to other channels and I can message them on other channels whenever and wherever I want with no cost to me? That is what I think we're trying to do now in terms of trying to look at first-party data and help brands and celebrities in terms of being able to generate that at a high-quality level. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting that you brought TikTok up because especially during quarantine, I've been on TikTok a lot and I noticed <laughs> that a lot of, um, you know, small businesses and bigger companies as well are using TikTok and other yep. social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram to market mm -hmm. their products. Yep. So yeah, that's a very interesting point you brought up. Yeah, but um, it's all going to change. It's all going to change. You know, ad blockers are a big issue, right? Like I, I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure some of you might have ad blockers on. Um, that's going to limit how brands are able to reach out to new audiences. And the, the problem is on Instagram and Facebook right now, organic reach is actually dwindling. They're trying to incentivize brands. They're trying to incentivize users to pay to advertise their content without realizing that the actual barriers to advertising are not being tackled by Facebook and Instagram, namely ad blockers, Cookies, for example, on, on platforms like Firefox, Chrome, and Safari are going to be shut down by the end of 2022. And you have the issue of GDPR and CCPA and privacy regulations popping up that are making these platforms change left, right, and center. So 
there's going to be a massive, massive uh, change, I think, within marketing in like the next year and a half. And I think this year is going to be the main year for first party data, hopefully. Mm -hmm. So moving towards more of like the scientific side of things. Oh, no. Um, so <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, I know that recently with like COVID-19, a lot of scientists and researchers are trying to use social media platforms as a way to kind of disseminate more um, credible information, because I know that there is a lot of misinformation being spread about, you know, the virus or the vaccines and whatnot. So a lot of scientists are trying to attract larger audiences on these platforms. So how would you suggest that they go about kind of reaching a wider public audience and fostering a sense of community and promoting the idea of having, um, you know, dialogue and conversations among the public? Yeah, I mean, two things. One is, if so let's say I was a center for disease and control, right? I was a CDC down in the United States. What would I do? I would do two things. Number one is I would figure out who are the populations that are likely rebelling uh, against what is commonly or should be commonly known as the truth. Um, and you'll actually find out that it's not really older people generally. It's actually younger people that are... Uh, screwing around, you know, having big house parties, very dubious about the vaccine in general, and are sharing fake news around the vaccine affecting people because of allergies over the actual vaccine. Um, and, and so I think if you're trying to go after this like 20 to 30 year old audience, you got to then realize where are they looking. And the biggest thing I've noticed about our generation is that we tend to not listen to our parents. We tend to not listen to politicians. We tend to not listen to authority figures in general unless they have a Lamborghini behind them or unless they have some great record that we love to listen on a daily basis or unless they were in a movie that we could call upon and say that was a great memory. And so this is all to say, I think if I was the CDC, I would work with influencers. I would directly work with the David Dobricks of the world that have this incredible population of young people that look up to him as a god, as, as whatever he says is kind of the word of the gospel and make sure that for these people, you're able to get them to understand that with their platform also come the responsibility to share the truth and to share the news around how to get over a period like this. And I think David Dobrik, in my opinion, came to my mind because I feel like he would be the perfect person for them to work with. He's already socially conscious. He believes that he has a civic responsibility beyond just making money. And I think it's, it's, it's an ideal person for him to work with. I think the second thing is to look at platforms like TikTok and Instagram but not to do cringy things. Like a lot of times, especially with politicians in Canada, we have campaigns that are doing probably the most cringy things on TikTok and Instagram to try to get young people to vote for them. It's, it's more, again, about trying to work through authority figures that they already buy into. And there's a really cool company in Venice, California called Genies. They do digital avatars for every celebrity. They're the biggest digital avatar agency in the world. So think about like United Talent Agency, CAA, and Wasserman. Those people all manage real people. Take those real people like Post Malone and Selena Gomez, convert them into a digital avatar, and Genies manages their digital avatar. And the cool thing about a digital avatar is you can build any environment around them, right? As long as I have Selena Gomez's consent, I could put her into a frame with a bunch of vaccines around and a sign saying, get vaccinated. And that's something you can do within a matter of seconds. We don't need Selena Gomez to fly out to wherever the CDC is located to do a brand shoot. We can create that within a day and start posting it. And young people are generally going to be attracted to it because they'll still feel like Selena Gomez is attached to that message. 
So I think these are things to look at as well. And one cool thing is that the CDC actually recently did start working with genies, which is why I brought them up. But um, I think definitely in Canada, like we need to be doing stuff like that. We can't just rely on health ministers on Twitter telling mothers to then tell their children that this is what the province is telling you to do. That is just not going to work. There's going to be a massive game of telephone. And during that time, there's going to be the chances for fake news to spread a lot more than real. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's an important issue, especially now, considering just the the weight of, of the COVID situation that's been going on worldwide, but especially here, I guess we can all relate on the Ontario situation that's going on. Um, yep. Yeah, and I think that's especially important that you bring up fake news, um, being informed about what's like what is actually true and versus not. It's, it's um, a growing concern, actually, just because of how in tune we are and we receive so much of our news off of social media um that we should be able to filter out what we know is real versus what is being sold to us of course um and that's honestly kind of what we're trying to give and grasp at our conference as well like although this is virtual this is still research and we appreciate all those who are doing research in a time like this where you know it might be less accessible uh, but they're still asking questions they're still asking questions from not just the science background, but multidisciplinary. They're looking at the politics and the policies, but also the business side and, and the finance side. And they're asking questions that still need to be answered. There's just so much that does need to be answered. Yeah. And you've brought up so many good points on in our talk today. Uh, we'd like to thank you. We learned a variety of different tips and tricks from someone who has lots of experience at such a young age. I'm sure lots of our viewers can definitely relate to you and, and um, your opinions about the Lakers. <laughs> um, um, but we can definitely see and use some of the tips you've used about public speaking and virtually speaking. Um, as our undergraduate student audience, or even as a researcher um, that you can use in the future. So we definitely touched upon how to better use our virtual platforms to create a community and be a great communicator by using it, how to market ourselves and how to use our social media and try to filter out the good news from the fake news from the truth. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you again for coming, Swish. Um, thank you for your time. time. Thank you. Thank you. So from all of us here, have a great night. For listening everyone if you like this episode make sure to like and share make sure to also check out all of our social medias at western src to stay updated on the abstract and the conference thank you for tuning in and see you next time